and welcome to Lunch on Monday. We're so glad you've joined us at the table. This podcast is a candid conversation between two friends trying to make sense of current events around the world. Our conversations aim to leave us with deeper questions rather than oversimplistic answers. Lunch on Monday will hopefully give you something to chew on for the rest of the week. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us again. I'm Lizette. And I'm Caitlin. Thanks so much for joining us, man. What a pleasure. We're here on episode two of Lunch on Monday. Um, how is that even possible? <laughs> um, we absolutely loved hearing your feedback from episode Thank one. You we so, much. so appreciate your thoughts, your contributions. Please keep them coming. Um, at the end, we'll give you all our contact details. We'd again email. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, it helps us continue to shape this conversation and we appreciate that you guys are also at the table. Yeah, thank you guys. Um, so in each episode of Lunch on Monday, we're going to be discussing a story on current events. We'll have some questions that we're, we're thinking about and then also some suggested reading or resources or just something um, for you guys to take away. And uh, before we dive in, though, a very important order of business. The most important, the I'd most say. The most important, the central feature here. What did we actually have for lunch today? What did you have for lunch? So, again, this this segment is becoming slightly boring because Caitlin and I are always having lunch. So, Caitlin's answer is going to be the same as mine. But today, um, we had a caprese salad. <laughs> Sorry to all my the- Italian friends. I don't. I think that's the wrong pronunciation. Okay. <laughs> but basically, mozzarella, tomato, basil. It was delicious. So good. Um, and then just had some roast veg and some sausage. It was lovely. Yeah, it was really nice. Lizette said it was simple. She prepared it again, but it was it was really good. It was really nice. Yes, keeping it simple. That's it. That's all it is. We don't have to we don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know. <laughs> you can reinvent that lunch if you'd like to. <laughs> I know exactly. Make that happen again anytime. Yeah, yeah. Um, finished off with some ice creams, which was delicious. Um, mm. Dessert is the for me one of the most important parts of the meal, so that was great. Oh, I'm absolutely there. In agreement. Yeah, I'm absolutely there. Um, okay, cool. So today we're gonna um, really have our jumping point from an article from the New York Times. Um, it's called From Cosmetics to NASCAR, Calls for Racial Justice Are Spreading. Um, so last week we talked about the idea of um, breaking the cycle of injustice. And um, this week we want to talk about just changes that are happening across the board in people's lives. Um, this article goes through all these major corporations and companies and people um, and how they're making changes and recanting and um making positive changes moving forward because of uh, everything that's been happening um, with anti-racism. And so, you know, everyone from like The Bachelor now has a... Come on, The Bachelor. Black Bachelor. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. Is it like a fetishization or that's are we hoping for greater representation? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, we'll see what happens. Eyes on you, The Bachelor. Yeah. Um, to like maybe a little bit more uh, needed... Well, that's needed, but also needed changes of like the NFL apologizing and um, things of that nature. So we we were struck by this quote uh, from the story. It says, what feels different this time is that white folks are listening. 
Yeah, super important, this this idea of listening. Um, you had some really good thoughts on this idea of listening. Caitlin, would you mind sharing those? Yeah, um, I think the, the first minor point that, that I was thinking that is um, not, not the main point, but was just that it's crazy that in order for a movement to work, the privileged majority culture has to listen. Like, yeah. even that just shows the amount yeah. of just privilege mm-hmm. and... Um, power yeah um and the protests have sort of forced people to listen you know um there's so there's true. been these conversations have been happening for ages now but sort of we've been forced to listen in um a whole new way yeah that's so true um i think uh the article made connections to the me too movement mm. and how essentially there was obviously this like cascade of stories that came out mm. um and in, in this in this short time period and how the same thing is happening now there's a hashtag black in the ivory um, that's talking about um, racism and higher education institutions mm. and just going through some of those stories like you see just insane uh similarities really um mm. through all these different um all these different people and all these different really even time periods and decades and um, different positions in academia. Yeah. And just one point on that, like how courageous, um, I'm massively blown away by genuinely the courage that it takes for people to make their stories heard. The Me Too movement was this huge show of courage and vulnerability and truth telling. Um, and I think we're seeing that, um, the beautiful, like obviously horrible, the context within which they're happening, but the beautiful parts of people being courageous enough to share their stories um, has been really humbling, I think. Um, yeah, you have to really put yourself out there. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think that's maybe why listening or sharing your story is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I think both aspects are really powerful. So when you share, like you are walking into something, you're releasing something, you're solidifying something. Um, and then when you listen, like you're being changed, um, your narrative is being changed as well. Mm. Um, but there's a unifying power in it too. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is maybe the most, um, hopeful thing of, of what I've seen. Um, yeah. Is a potential for unification that happens mm. when one person shares and another listens. Absolutely. Um, and just the posture of humility that's required for humble listening, I think, and active listening is super important. Um, and one thing we were talking about is um, how important it is to pay attention to the type of stories we're listening to or the type of narratives we're exposing ourselves to that maybe we don't know that much about or are ignorant about and want to do something about that. Um, And we've been talking about why it matters so much um, in cinema, in entertainment, in art, in books, why it matters to have other voices, specifically black voices or people of color sharing their testimony, sharing their stories, because it matters that we're hearing other narratives because the norm or the narrative is white, male, (laughs) predominantly Western. So I think it's really interesting for us to pay attention to the fact that what we consider as normal is actually very white (laughs) when actually, in fact, we need to diversify that. And in the article, it talks loads about, you know, sort of, 
yeah, like we've said, you know, in terms of entertainment or sports, like huge sporting franchises, you know, putting out big statements or retracting previous inaction. Um, and I think it's because we're slowly, slowly, slowly realizing actually the, the importance of, yeah, exposing ourselves to different stories, exposing ourselves to different viewpoints. Um, and an interesting thing that uh, I read this week was obviously that, you know, people have very well intentioned been wanting to educate themselves, right. which is amazing, right? Yes, people you know. should read books, should m watch more TED Talks. It's great. Um, so there's been this huge rise in sales, um, sort of in books on racism. And I saw this article uh, just on BBC News' Instagram by... Um, the author, uh, Rennie Edo-Lodge, she wrote a book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. And basically, she's become the first ever black British author to top the paperback nonfiction chart. Um, and she was saying that it's sort of this horrible indictment of the publishing industry that, um, you know, that it's only happening now and it's only happening in light of such a horrible event that mm -hmm. happened. And she had this really powerful quote. She said, this book financially transformed my life and I really don't like the idea of personally profiting every time a video of a black person's death goes viral mm -hmm. um and we were just talking about that weren't we the complexity of you know this book birthed out of you know sharing a story like sharing a narrative offering a different narrative is now yeah the complexity of that and yeah. the discomfort of feeling like you're profiting off of yeah, black deaths or people wanting to educate themselves. Right. So it's such a complex topic. But um, we were saying, you know, if if no one listens to your story, does it even matter? And you had some good thoughts to share on that. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thought I was, I was thinking as well yeah. when you were sharing that is that that's the point of the movement, isn't it? That mm. it does change the norm mm. so that books like this aren't going to only be bestsellers when something a tragedy happens mm -hmm. um but it actually changes the norm so that it's normal for people from the majority culture to educate themselves it doesn't just happen in in, in crisis moments um but yeah we yeah we were just trying to think like is it powerful if no one is listening um to your story even if no one is and obviously yeah it is and mm -hmm. um alluded to this earlier but i think it it changes um, it changes you when, when you share your story and it gives you, um, an ability for you to look back and say like, this is what happened to me. You know, I can stand on this. Um, these are some planks in my life. Um, and I, I think it also, like we were just sharing too, like it, it's important that these things, whether someone's listening to you right now or not, like in the future, they very well might be. <laughs> mm. And I think that's been such a huge, um, the huge importance of creativity, hasn't it? Of having these written, recorded monuments mm. of moments in time that, you know, these books have existed for ages. They've, they've, they've been around for a long time. Being able to educate yourself has existed. <laughs> like those resources, <laughs> have, yeah, it has been possible before this moment. But the value in the fact that they are recorded, that they're written down, that they're things that we can touch and see and hold and go back to is so important, which I thought was a really interesting 
um, aspect of it of, yeah, like publishing houses, you know, what stories are you choosing to publish or uh, fund or um, a lot. We spoke about this last week as well of, you know, what music are you listening to or yeah, things like this. That's so important to realize actually absolutely having those things written down is so valuable. And that's just got me thinking about, you know, so often the reason we don't do creative projects, I mean, a huge reason we took so ages to want to start this podcast even <laughs> was like, well, what can we add that isn't already out there? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge insecurity for anyone who's sort of engaging or embarking on a creative process, whether that's just processing your own experience or, you know, feeling like you're maybe a novice or you don't have the technical skills yet. But the huge part of it is that there's something that we can point back to. It's a monument we've created in time to say, actually, this is something I can come back and stand on. Just like what you were saying that it's, you can, you can really put your weight on that thing, um, to help us move forward. And when we get to points in the future that feel really shaky or that feel like we've lost our way a little bit, uh, it's having these things that we can hold on to and these creative processes that um, matter. Um, so, yeah, if just an encouragement for anyone, like literally if you're thinking about writing or painting or doing a film documentary, whatever it is, it matters. It matters that um, we hear mm-hmm. stories. It matters that um, there's more more of a wealth out there for all of us to learn about experiences that aren't our own. That's so good. That's so good. Um, okay, so s- some questions that we were thinking, some some food for thought. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is maybe going a bit deeper into that, mm. into what we were just talking about. So the power of testimony. Um, why is it so powerful? Why is listening so powerful? And maybe touching on as well um, this idea of being proactive versus reactive. Yeah. I mean, you had mentioned this earlier, which I just thought was such a great point. We were talking about how so much of the response um, has been just that, right? It's been a response. It's been a reaction to uh, what's been happening in culture, what's been happening in our world. Um, And while I think that's super important, we were just thinking sort of the other side of that coin is while reaction is great, while movements towards change are great, actually, how do we, A, become a culture that is proactive, (laughs) that is proactive about learning about different cultures, different stories, um, but also sort of the thing that it frustrates in us when we see, you know, big corporations releasing statements or whatever is that it seems hypocritical. And you had a great insight on this, didn't (laughs) you? We were reading um, one part of the article was about this corporation donating literally millions, like tens of millions of dollars um, to these different uh, Black Lives Matters um, charities, which is incredible. But the thought I had was, are they actually paying their black employees fairly? You know, like, yeah. What if, yeah, what if they just um, give you some of that money and give their black and brown employees, like, um, a pay raise? An, an actual pay raise. A making promotion. Yes, <laughs> making, um, yeah, like, going above and beyond minimum wage. And, again, like, what we were saying in our conversation is that it's not a matter of either or. Like, obviously, we need both of those things. We need people to make donations. We need uh, change and your words to be followed by actual actions. But that actions don't necessarily have to start out there like you can make such an impact for the employees who are already in your company and actually yeah being sensitive to that of course like I've talked to so many friends too who are like 
if one more white corporate <laughs> manager asks me what my black experience is, I'm going to lose it. So <laughs> totally, like I think the whole point of stories is that they're offered, aren't they? They're not demanded. And um, it's thinking about how as corporations, but people in positions of privilege can proactively create safe spaces for people to be the full versions of who they are all the time, rather than now feeling like we must go demanding people's stories and asking for people's experiences because I need to learn or I need to educate myself, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, but genuinely feeling challenged about actually what change is most impactful or how do you do that? Um, but sort of to come back to this, the, the power of testimony, like I said, genuinely, I think it is one of the bravest, most courageous, vulnerable things you can do to tell your story. And um, I mean, Brene Brown, who I love, has already written so much good stuff on the power of vulnerability and why it matters to be honest yes. and authentic about your experiences, the good things and the bad things. Um, so I think there's so much power in verbalizing, vocalizing, finding your voice, even if it feels messy at first, um, but finding your voice. And if you're in a position of privilege, finding ways to amplify those voices. Um, and to come back to our question of why is listening so powerful? Um, and we kind of wrestled with that question a little bit where we're like, is it listening or is it actually being heard? You right. know? Right. Um, so trying to figure out actually how do we become active listeners um has been a huge thing that like yeah we've been thinking about yeah it's definitely something to ruminate on i think it looks different in every context but the point is that you're making the space right you're um you're willing to to chat you're willing to go somewhere that will take you to something uncomfortable that will probably point out something in you or in your culture that's not great yeah <laughs> that's bad um that you'll need to like to repent of um but it's powerful and again and it's unifying effects and its ability to change the listener and it add it adds value i think to the story um stories are valuable in themselves but it's it's affirming the value really mm. um it's affirming and saying um like yes you know it's giving, you. it's giving yeah. a yes um, yeah to what they say absolutely and and i think also it's um in our fast paced world, it's figuring out how we can become better listeners. And you have some like helpful wisdom that um, you'll share with um, all of you guys as we sign off, just leaving you guys with some stuff to think about. Um, but coming back to maybe more the reactive and proactive side of things, we've been talking about actually like hypocrisy yeah, and why actually it's so offensive, so offensive. to us. <laughs> it's so offensive to us. And <laughs> something that I realized is that I was like, we hate hypocrisy in other people, in corporations, you know, so many of these, um, yeah, corporate America has come under so much scrutiny, but not just in the States, across the board, you know, of, oh yeah, now because there's some big movement happening, you want to release your, your statement, even though the practices of your company and the values of your company and the way that you do business still does not reflect a value for the things that you're saying. Mm. Um, and I felt I was so interested that we're so offended by hypocrisy in others, but we often tolerate hypocrisy in ourselves. We have a much higher tolerance for it. And I felt personally challenged by that. I was like, you know, why am I out here looking for, for specks in everyone else's eye when I need to just deal with the plank in my own? Um, and really being conscious of that and actually 
that being a question for all of us to think about is where are the parts of my life that I'm actually being hypocritical um, and I'm saying one thing, but I'm doing something else um, and actually living a life with integrity where uh, someone once described integrity to me as, you know, all the parts of you moving in the same direction, which I love that description. And just thinking about that, I mean, corporations, leaders absolutely should be thinking about this of how does all the parts of your company line up with what it is that you're saying publicly privately how are you honoring and um paying and valuing yes. and seeing and listening um what should be done in private as well as public statements of you know solidarity um or yeah apologies which are also necessary yeah that's so great we have to have the same eye of scrutiny for ourselves that we do for other people yeah that's absolutely because really uh, i think that's one huge thing that we keep on coming back to is you know change begins with us, us personally, and dealing with our own heart condition, um, yeah. which is good. Yeah. The the last um, thought I had on that was, I think the reason that we're so upset with like with hypocrites and with hypocrisy is because um, we really have a huge value on faithfulness. Um, I think there's something that's so attractive about faithfulness to people when someone says, I'm going to do this, and they do it. Um, or they act in a way that aligns with what they say. Mm. Um, it's so it's so rare. Oh my word! Millennials and Gen Z, we are the worst in our texting culture. So useless bad. at commitment so, so often. Um, but to be honest, like I think that's slowly starting to change now that we've become aware of it and aware of how much we value someone keeping their word. Is again constantly asking ourselves how can I become someone who's a person of my word? Um, yeah. And there's greater responsibility, the bigger your company, the more people you lead, you know, whatever that looks like. But just on a personal level, um, what does it look like for me to genuinely keep my word when I say I'm going to do something? Um, yeah. And we were talking about how, you know, the a company releasing a statement is all good and well, but the real judge of whether that's hypocrisy or not is whether it's followed up by actual statements, actual change, actual changes, you know? Um, so I think time is that telling factor to say right. you release the statement, you've apologized, which are both very important things, but actually now is where the rubber meets the road, where we'll actually see if, all the parts of you are pointing in the same direction. So I think releasing a statement is the easiest step, <laughs> even though for so many people, it's felt like the so hard, hard thing. Yeah. Um, actually acknowledging that stuff is step number one. And actually of the hard, yes, of many. <laughs> and I think so many people are realizing now that this is actually where the hard work begins because in order for something to actually change, it's going to come at a cost. And in the article, that was a genuine question that so many people are asking is, this is going to come at a cost. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to pay that price? Um, and I would say a follow-up question to that is, what is the cost if we aren't willing to pay that price? You know, like if we're not yeah. willing to do the work, um, what is going to be the cost of that? Well, um, and potentially the greater cost. So that's really good. Yeah. Genuinely really time, time will tell is what we're saying. And if anything, the all eyes are on all these corporations, so many political leaders. And I think it's good. It's, it's given us a, a greater sense of accountability. Um, things that seem to have been hidden or been in the dark for a long time now are being brought into the light and are going to be held accountable, hopefully, which yeah. is 
what we're trying to move towards. It's asking for their their lives, really. Yeah, absolutely. And not just their words. Totally. Nice phrases. Mm-hmm. Also, sign it on faithfulness. Yes. Um, something that I most appreciate about Lizette. Oh, my word. <laughs> Caitlin is too kind. Is that um, she's always on time. Whenever she says she's going to be somewhere in a certain place, always on It's time. my OCD. I don't know if it's no. me or <laughs> my OCD. But I appreciate that, yeah. Val. Thank you so it's much. Um, I think genuinely this is what we were saying. Like, such a huge value in friendship. And, yeah, totally a value in Caitlin and value in friendship is that thing of faithfulness of is someone there when you need them to be and um yeah massively appreciate that in your friendship as well that you do what you say you're gonna do it's a big thing and i don't take it for granted for sure um so some things to chew on this week caitlin what's the homework yes what's the homework our first piece of homework is just to be a better active listener yeah Um, especially if you're from the majority culture um like me i think finding ways to be an active listener and like we said, it's not demanding stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not poking um, wounds mm-hmm. that are really tender right now. But it's um, self-educating. It's slowing down um, just in your daily life and finding ways to make that a process and a rhythm of your life. If you are an employee of someone, if you are um, a fellow um, peer, if you're just a friend, how can you find ways to learn about someone's narrative and I think having a gentleness about it, having humility and intentionality about it will really let you go a long way. So yeah, finding ways to be an active listener. I completely agree. And I think also just keeping in mind that it's not about hearing one story and applying that person's experience to everyone and then making assumptions, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we were talking about this TED Talk that I love and cannot recommend enough. It's called The Danger of a Single Story by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, She's this phenomenal um author and writer and thinker and she has this great ted talk on actually how dangerous it can be for us to apply one narrative one story that we've heard across the board so she talks about it often within the context of quote unquote the story we hear about africa you know or what uh. that even means <laughs> um but it's keeping that in mind is as an active listener I'm listening to this story with this person and their life experience, as opposed to feeling like I must now apply that story to, to yeah, to, to a whole community, which, um, but so for so long, um, black communities and communities of color have said, we're not a monolith. Our experiences are different. And it's, it's harder work. It would be much easier if I could just listen to one story and be like, right, I'm an expert on the continent of Africa. I'm an expert on black culture. Like, that's yeah. not how it works. We have to be willing to do the work to expose ourselves to a broad range of stories and then do the work of saying, okay, actually, where are there still gaps? How can I be responsible to educate myself um, on the things that I still don't know in my cultural context or in my story? That's so great. I can't wait to uh, listen to that TED Talk. I haven't seen it either. It's good. It's one of the most watched ones on uh, TED Talks, I'm pretty sure. I know. I'm also a big Chimamanda fan, so any chance I can (laughs) to get some recommends in there, I'm doing Yes. (laughs) Thanks so much again for joining us at the table for lunch on Monday. Uh, You can find all the resources mentioned in today's podcast in the show notes. And we would love to hear your thoughts um, as you mull over these things. If you have questions, if you have feedback, please um, reach out to us. We have an email. It's lunchonmonday at gmail.com. We'd love to hear you.
Okay, see you next Monday.